Well, good morning. Thank you. Hope everyone's having a good, uh, good Sunday morning. Have hopefully you had a good, exciting week. Um, we had a, a pretty exciting week, pretty uh, busy week. Uh, a few things happened for us in our our home this week. Um, we started a small group. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Been telling you all for a year to, to get joined in a home group, so we thought, you know, we should probably do one too. So, uh, yeah, we started a home group, and that's about the most exciting thing that's happened for us this week. So, <laughs> that was Monday anyway, the first part of the week. Uh, then on Friday, uh, this little dude showed up. Um, so, this is, uh, this is uh, the newest addition to the Witten homestead. Uh, this is Titus. Uh, Jeffrey Witten. He was born at about 10.13 uh, Friday morning. Um, I keep getting in trouble because I, I, I use the phrase, it was as easy as it could be. And people, people will think I'm saying, well, Jennifer had it easy. I said, as it could be. I mean, nothing went wrong. It was fast. It was quick. Um, he showed up. Everything's been great. He's, he's great. Uh, everything's perfect with him. His mommy's doing great. Uh, he's got a couple of sisters that like him. Um, so they... Uh, <laughs> I'd say that's the best picture we can get, but if you know my kids, that's dead on with them. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, they're, they're excited. Amelie was there um, with, with my mom and Jen's mom and, and got to come in just shortly after. We went and got Elsie from school a little bit later, and, and uh, she was pretty excited too. And It was so funny. We picked Elsie up from school, and uh, she knew going to school that, that he was going to be born. We thought it might be a little later in the day, so she wasn't, maybe, maybe might, might not even miss it, but uh, we picked her up, and uh, she just had this, this like really somber look on her face. My mom and I and, and Amelie went to get her. She had this really subdued look on her face and um, said, do you want to go see your brother? And it was just like this, yeah, kind of just real, real look. And so we get in the car, and, and we're like, so do you want to know what we named him? And Amelie goes, Titus, and Elsie goes, that was the name I liked. <laughs> so... We made the mistake several times of asking our girls, what do you want to name your little brother? And Amelie gave us all sorts of terrible ideas, um, mostly like Amelie or Fluffy or, um, I think it was Eileen a while back, said, I can't wait to meet your little boy, Fluffy. Just, because <laughs> Amelie had been talking all about him. So, but uh, yeah, we came home yesterday afternoon and um, he's doing great, mommy's doing great. I was a little disappointed though at the hospital with their security though because they let just anybody come back there and um, <laughs> so funny story, Jim calls me, he's like, hey, do you mind if, if, if uh, some company comes by? I'm like, sure, you know, and I, I assume maybe it's him and his family. It's just him. He comes there. I'm not making this up. He's there for like three minutes, takes him, takes a picture, and leaves. <laughs> well, then I see it on Facebook later. He wanted to make sure everybody knew he was the first one to get to come see him. So... <laughs> Mostly Valerie. He did specifically mention you. So, but, uh, so here's proof that, that Jim wanted to make sure you knew he was the first one there. But uh, no, he's, uh, Titus is doing great. Um, you know, he's um, home. And of course, you know, every night we'd get to bed, he'd wake up and start going nuts in, in, inside Jennifer. So of course, last night at about 11.15, he's wide awake and just looking around. And but uh, he's doing great, mommy's doing great, and um, we uh, appreciate all the, the messages we got from you guys and the prayers we got and uh, phone calls, and um, 
it's been, been good. So we're looking forward to uh, just getting used to being a family of five, having, having the three kids. Everybody goes, what's it like having a son? I'm like, I don't know, he just lays there right now. So, <laughs> you know, ask me again in a few months. Right now, it's not really any different. So he just kind of lays there and sometimes is awake, sometimes is asleep. So, <laughs> you know, he's two days old. So that's kind of how that works. Glad that you're here with us today. We're uh, in, in this series called 316, where we're looking at uh, John 3.16, most famous quote of all time, one of the uh, most famous verses in the Bible, and picking out four words out of this, and looking at how these four words shape our lives as, as just as people, but also to as followers of Jesus. And uh, if you haven't been here for any of this series, I would really encourage you to listen, because this is, this is one series that just one week picks up into the next. And so get on, online and listen, get on our podcast and listen. John 3.16, it says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And what we've done is we've taken four words out of this verse that we're using kind of to show the, the markers or the signposts of, of life. So if in week one, we said, you know, we, we picked up the word death or perish. So we are born sinners. We're born naturally as sinners. It's just a condition that we inherit that's in the world. And that the punishment for sin is death. Last week, if you weren't here, Megan uh, jumped in and, and did a great job talking about God's response to death is love, and, and laid out the story of Nicodemus in John 3, how Jesus uh, was approached by Nicodemus and showed him love, answered him questions, kind of exposed himself to Nicodemus. So the, God's answer, God's response to death is love. And today we're going to take a look at another, another word and see how our response to God's love is faith. So in particular, we're looking at, at this part of, of John 3, 16, that whoever believes in him will not perish. That's kind of our, our key phrase for today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. Uh, belief is, is the theme of John. In fact, if you read John's gospel, you look at John's gospel in the Greek, you find the Greek word pistiwo 98 times. 98 times in what we have in our English Bible is 21 chapters. You can do the math there. Pistiwo is a verb. It's the verb form of the Greek word pistis, which means faith. Pistiwo means belief or belief. So think about it from this angle. Faith is kind of a noun. It's, it's, it's something we have. Belief or to believe is the action form of that. If you've been around here uh, since I've been here, you kind of know I tend to take things and put them into verb form. I like to put things into action. I don't like to just say something, I like to say how we're going to do it. And so with, with believing, it's putting your faith into action, putting your faith into motion. See, faith is what draws us to Jesus. If you're a follower already, if you've been coming for a long time, it's your faith that brings you here. If you're here trying Jesus out for size, you're, you're just seeing what's going on with this today. It's a, it's a little bit of a, an inkling of faith that's brought you here, and a little bit of an inkling of faith that's got you interested. But here's kind of the thing with faith. It's not like a shirt that you can just put on. Okay, it's not like a light switch you can just flip. Faith isn't just a black and white thing. Faith can't be quantified. Faith has to be experienced. And that's kind of where faith can be difficult for an, a skeptic or, or an, a non-believer. The, the Bible describes faith this way in Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You take this verse and you kind of break it into two parts here. And you see this, assurance of things hoped for. 
conviction of things not seen. You, you kind of look at those two, two parts of that and you say, man, those are just kind of like oxymorons, right? I mean, how can you be sure of something you're hoping for? How can you convict on something not seen? I, I know back to when I was a kid, you know, I would make up my Christmas list and, and I would have all the presents under the tree and I would hope I had a certain thing, but I couldn't be certain of it. Now you can go do the, you know, do the snoop test, you get down under there, you crawl around, you pick up the box, you kind of weigh it, judge the size, you shake it a little bit, you know, but my parents could have been like, I'm going to be one day where I'm going to make a box that is, you know, looks a lot like what my kids really, really want, you know. I'm going to be one of those who, who's like, for me it was always, I wanted a, a box of baseball cards. I, I wanted the complete set, so the box is about this long, about this wide, and when you shook it, you could hear this, this kind of movement inside. That could easily be a box full of pebbles, you know, you, you, just, you hear it, that's what it could be like. I hoped that was there, but I could never be certain that it was there. On the other side, you look at that, the last part of that where it says the conviction of things not seen. The, the old King James said the evidence of things not seen. I don't know how many of you have experience with courtrooms. Maybe you've been in a courtroom, maybe you've, you've gone into a, a trial. Uh, I really don't, but I've seen law and order several times, so I kind of know how it works, you know. <coughs> But you, you get, you're, you're the defendant, right? You're on trial. Imagine this, you're, you're sitting there in that defendant's chair and, and you're on trial and the prosecutor comes up and goes, man, he is guilty, he's 100% guilty. And the judge goes, okay, show me your evidence. Nah, it's okay. I'm not gonna show it, but he's guilty. So I want you to convict him. Well, the judge is like, oh, no, we're not even wasting our time. He, he, he's free to go. You know, we're, we're gonna throw this case out because if you're not gonna show me your evidence, if the evidence is unseen, I'm not gonna convict him. But this is what faith is. And what, what's tough for us is, as humans, we live in kind of the tangible, right? We live in what we can experience, what we can see and touch and feel, it, what appeals to our five senses. And sometimes I think it's easy to criticize others for their lack of faith on what they can't see or touch or feel. But it's always important to remember, too, that some of Jesus' very followers struggled with this. I go back to, to the night after Jesus was, was uh, resurrected. And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it. You guys have seen it, but I don't believe it till I see him, till I touch him. And then a few days later, Thomas gets to touch him, touch the resurrected Jesus. And that's what it took for him to believe. And here's what Jesus said to him in that moment in John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus tells Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That last verse there, the last part of that, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus is talking about all of the future of humanity. That's us. I've never seen Jesus, never touched Jesus, never heard him, but I believe. So blessed are those who have seen or have not seen and who believe. So here's kind of how faith works. Faith is, is, is funny. Because faith is it's not like gravity, right? It's not something that we can be sure of. Uh, for example, if I take this ball and I let go of it, I know exactly what's going to happen. I don't have to hope that it hits the ground. I don't have to wish. I don't have to think. I don't have to wonder what's going to happen. I know it's going to hit the ground. And that's gravity, right? That's certainty, we know that. But on the flip side, faith isn't totally subjective. I could go around this room and say, what's your favorite restaurant in town? And I'm going to get a different answer from most of you. Now, some of you will agree. Some of you will say it's the same thing. But by and large, 
I could take a poll, I'm gonna get a consensus of what your favorite restaurant is in town. I could say, well, Redwood Christian Church, our favorite restaurant is this. Well, that's just a consensus. It's not an objective reality. It's a subjective thought. Faith falls somewhere in between. It's not concrete, it's, it, it's not certainty, but it's not subjective either. Here's why. We have limitations. We have limitations in what we can understand, but God doesn't. God is not limited by our limitations. God is not pinned in by our limitations. You can memorize the Bible. You, you can memorize every word of this Bible. You can understand the theology behind it, the depths of it. Uh, you, you can go to, to Bible college, to seminary, everything. You can study it every day of your life, and you're just starting to scratch the surface. That's it. God is so much bigger than what we can understand. He's infinitely larger than our ability to grasp him. And here's kind of where some people, I think, have a stumbling block with this. Because we try to understand God based on our abilities to understand God. Uh, Forgiveness is a good example of this. I know a lot of people who can't come to God because they struggle with the concept of forgiveness. Uh, Either they can't forgive people in their own lives. They can't forgive people who have done things to them, so therefore they think God couldn't possibly forgive them. Or they just don't understand the concept of grace. And this is a great idea, a great example of this, because you can come to God every day with sin. Bring it to him every day, and you can get tired of doing it, and God forgives you every time. That's grace. That's an example of this. Again, somebody wrongs you, eventually they run out of chances, right? You only let somebody hurt you so many times before they run out of chances. Then work that way with God. Again, we're thinking in our terms. We're thinking on our ability to do things, not on God. And here's the big difference between us and God. We're mortal, we're, we're broken, we're, we're, we're pinned in and limited. God is holy. God is holy. That means he's set apart, he's different, he's beyond what we can grasp. And because of that, that's where that unseen belief comes in. Because we have to believe in something we can't fully understand. But there's a difference between unseen evidence and blind faith. So please hear me out on this. It's not the same thing to say that unseen evidence just means blind faith. They're totally different. Blind faith is is not what we do, but that's what skeptics might believe. Sam Harris is is a very noted skeptic. He's kind of of considered one of the big four when it comes to uh, the the more well-known skeptics and atheists in the world. Several years ago, he wrote a book called The End of Faith, and he talked about the Christian belief, the Christian faith, he called it unjustified belief. And what he compared our relationship with God to is his relationship to Nicole Kidman, the famous actress. You might know her. She's a famous actress known for her ability, for her looks, for all of it, the whole package. He said, I am convinced, this is him talking as if he were a Christian, I am convinced Nicole Kidman is in love with me. And here's how I am convinced of this, because I am in love with her. And because I know everything about her. I've, I've, I've read her Wikipedia page. I know everything there is to know about her. And, and I know all of her movies. I've seen them all. I even know where she lives. I'm, a, I'm in love with her, so she must be in love with me. That's how he kind of compares the Christian belief. He says basically this, that, that the Christian faith is based on feelings and not on evidence. Now again, go back to Hebrews chapter 11. It says that it's the, the conviction of things not seen or the evidence of things not seen. And if you just pull that verse out and leave it alone, that may be what it looks like. But if you read the rest of Hebrews 11, you see 20 examples 
of evidence. 20 examples of faith, heroes of the Old Testament. Heroes of the Old Testament that were broken and flawed and messed up, using faith in God to take that next step. You see the words by faith over and over and over. By faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, just on and on and on. In fact, when we come to faith in Jesus, we don't do it blindly, we do it often on the evidence of others. Uh, Just for example, we come to faith in Jesus in large part because of the New Testament or the Old Testament, by people who walked with Jesus in the New Testament. Uh, Here's what I love, in in Acts chapter five, Peter is trying to get his point across to people, and here's what he says, Acts five, verse 32, he says, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, in other words, Peter's saying, you know what? I was there. I saw it. I saw it happen. I saw Jesus walk on water. I saw Jesus raise people from the dead. So take my word for it. When we first moved here, we asked around, hey, what are some good places to eat? You know, what, where's, where's the best place to go shop for groceries? Uh, you know, who's, who should we go through uh, if, if I need my car worked on? I mean, we'd ask these questions, right? Because we knew you all would know. We knew you all would have advice and input to help us out. The same thing when, when, when Trevor got here and was settling in, like, hey, you know what? I, I love this place to eat. I, I love going over here to do this. Does that mean it's going to work out perfectly for the next person? No, but he's at least basing off of input. He's basing off of experience and evidence that we ourselves have gone and done. See, faith is, is again, it's not just blind. It's not just totally shooting in the dark. We're following the path others have set out in front of us. And when it comes to faith, when it comes to your faith, wherever you are, if you've been a Christian for a long time or if you're thinking about it, faith basically is broken down into four elements. And let's take a minute and, and go over those. The first element that leads to faith is tradition. First element that leads to faith is tradition. Now, I don't mean tradition in the church. I don't mean tradition in the order of service or tradition in how you grew up or all that. I mean tradition and understanding that you're not the first person to make questions. You're not the first person to throw doubts out there. You may be here today and you're doubting and you're, you're, you're dripping with doubt. You're struggling with, with coming to grips with where God is and who God is. And let me tell you, if you want to get an idea of who else did, just read the Old Testament. Just start flipping through because almost every page you're going to find somebody who's pretty messed up struggling with God. And that to me helps point to who God is because if, if, if this was just a fake book, I don't think that there would have been all these stories of all these messed up people in it. I'll look at Jacob, for example. Jacob, kind of the swindler, kind of swindles his brother out of things. He literally wrestles with God. I mean, God comes down and, and, and gets into a wrestling match with Jacob. Kind of cheats, dislocates his hip so he can win the, 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 the mat, uh, battle, but Jacob wrestles with God. Uh, you go on into 1 Kings, you read about Elijah. This is one of the, the, the top prophets of God is in fear of Ahab and Jezebel, and he runs away in fear for his life. Or go to the New Testament and just look at Peter. My goodness, this guy helped start the church, and he had so many issues where he struggled. This dude is walking on water. He is defying the laws of physics, walking on water with Jesus, and he doubts. I mean, I, I can't say that what I would respond in that situation, but he is walking, to, I don't know how far Jesus was away from him. I don't know how many steps Peter had taken, but at some point, Peter looks around. He takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks around and he realizes that the storm in his life is bigger than his faith. And he starts to sink. 
He's got doubts in the middle of a miracle. Think about that. Here's kind of where this, this, this boils down to. If you're struggling with faith, if you're questioning, if you're doubting, that's not a bad thing. Sometimes I think we've gotten this mindset that doubting in your faith is a bad thing, that it shows a weakness in your faith, and I will disagree with this 100%. Here's why. Doubting God means you're questioning God. Questioning God means you're engaging God. And engaging God means you're still there with him. Now here's the catch to that. If you doubt, if you question, make sure you keep an open mind. And make sure you're prepared to hear an answer that you may not want to hear. Because when you doubt with a closed mind, that's when you can get yourself in trouble. But if you're doubting with an open mind, you're engaging God. And when you're engaging God, you're still walking with God. You're talking to God. You haven't broken that conversation off yet. So the tradition, you're not the first person to wrestle with your faith. The second element that can lead to faith is experience. I can look back through my own life at just all these moments of things that happened and worked out and I can just say, man, if I was the one in control of the situation, it would not have happened. We bought our first house. Everything just fell into place. There's no way I could have pulled that off. It just had to have timing. And I mean, it's easy to see that, man, I was not in control of that situation. God was. He'll put different people in different spots so things drop in in the right time. And again, sometimes it doesn't look like you want it to look. But so many things in my life have happened, and there is no justifiable reason for it happening. It was just over a year ago that my dad had his motorcycle wrecked. There's no reason he should be alive other than the fact that God spared him. His helmet was destroyed, busted in on both sides. His bike was trashed. His body was trashed. Multiple broken bones, multiple internal injuries. And a few days later, he walked out of the hospital with just a cast on his wrist. There's no reason he should have been alive, but God had his hands around him. Again, God sometimes does things you don't understand and, and you won't understand, but God is in control. And when you look at experiences, you see that blessings in your life often line up with faith. Now, now be careful with this too, because I don't wanna make it sound like I'm in favor of blessings based on faith. That's called prosperity gospel. I don't think that God gives you a heap of blessings based on the amount of your faith. I, I don't think that. There are some people who preach that and say, man, if you're making $100,000 a year, man, you've got a great faith in God. That's what happens when you get a job that you make $20,000. Boy, he doesn't have very good, very good faith at all. That's a dangerous theology that some people preach today, so I'm not advocating that. But here is what I think. I think God will bless you in the areas he knows you can handle. People who are, are blessed with incredible finances, God knows they can handle that. I've used the example of, of Adam Wainwright. He's a pitcher for the St. Louis Cardinals. Guy makes almost $20 million a year, just under, under $20 million a year. He's made over 130-something million in his career. And I've heard him say multiple times, I hope the last check I ever write bounces. Because in other words, he says, I want to give it all away. He said this quote in an interview. He, he said, God has blessed me with abilities that very few people on the planet have so that I could accumulate resources that very few people on the planet have so that I can help as many people as I can. Man, I love that. I love that attitude. I love that humility, that generous spirit that he has. And when I hear him say that, I, I know it's true. He's a guy who's got very strong faith and he understands that blessings are meant to be used to bless others. So experience plays into faith. A third element that leads to faith is reason. It's reason. It's your ability to think. 
Sometimes skeptics will say this is actually counter, that if your ability to think, your ability to reason disproves faith. Because if you can reason and think through things, you don't need to just shoot in the dark wildly. I disagree. You've heard me say this too. I think science points towards faith. I think science points towards what we believe because we can see that. And for me, it's, it's getting out in nature. It's seeing creation. It's getting out on a hiking trail. It's seeing a river. It's going to the coast. It's, it's seeing all the stuff that God created. It's reading what Paul says in Romans 1, when through creation, things are made clear. Things are made plain that through creation, God is real. It, it was seeing my son being born two days ago and seeing that right out of the, uh, out of the womb, that at just a few moments old, I didn't have to teach him how to breathe. I didn't have to teach him how to cry. I didn't have to teach him how to latch on to his mommy. I didn't have to teach him any of that. He knows. It's instinctual. And here's kind of my thought on this. When I say that I think reason points to faith, there are some who will tell you that this is a sign of just evolution and biology at work. But I can tell you this. When it comes to, to making the choice between random chance and this clump of cells just happened to figure out how to breathe once upon a time, or somebody intelligently creating this and designing this to work this way, I can tell you which sounds much more reasonable to me. It's much easier for me to believe that we were created on purpose, for a purpose, with intentionality, than a one in a billion chance happened to work out. That's just my take on that. If you want to disagree, it's okay. You can be wrong with that. <laughs> Fourth element that leads to faith is revelation. Revelation. Revelation is God speaking to you. It's God speaking to me. It's God speaking to us. Now, this is probably different than it was in biblical times. I've never seen a bush catch on fire and hear God's voice. Uh, maybe you have. If you have, great. I haven't. Uh, but, but God speaks to us. We can read his word, and, and often I find answers to my questions today based on stuff that happened 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. Uh, I, I hear through other people. Other people will talk to me and what, to them might just be a meaningless conversation, you know, just chit-chat. But they'll say something that just sticks out to me. Or vice versa, I'll say stuff, and and to me, I'm just having a conversation just like I would anybody else any day of the week. They're like, man, you really spoke to me with what you said. Like, I don't even know what I said. But some words came out in a way they needed to hear. And, you know, I'm not trying to say uh, that I'm a prophet of God by any stretch of the imagination, but God will use me. He will use you to speak to others. He will speak through you to others. Sometimes it's a combination. I'll hear something from one person, something else from somebody else. All these things line up. And it's like they're not even realizing what they're doing, but they're giving me answers. They're giving me answers to questions that could only come from God. God reveals himself to us still. Uh, There's a whole book in the Bible called Revelation. It's a difficult book to understand, but the whole purpose of the book is John talking about the stuff that Jesus revealed to him when he came and spoke to him. These lead into faith. Don't think that faith, again, is just a complete and total shot in the dark. It's not. We have elements that play into our faith. It is evidence-based. It is based on what has come before and what will continue to come. But that's just part of it. Because as we see the follow-up to faith is how we respond to it. Again, last week, Megan laid laid it out, God's love for us. God's love for us when when he came and revealed himself to Nicodemus and laid it out and said, hey, here's the truth. Here's who I am. And, And here's what it means and here's what you should do with it. As we read throughout John 16, or John 3, 16, our response to that faith 
or to that love is, is, is to believe in God. Here's kind of where I mean by this. Our ability to reciprocate God's love depends on our ability to believe in God. Uh, God's love is perfect, it's whole, it's huge, it's, it's amazing and it's powerful and our ability to reciprocate that, to pass it on to other people depends on our ability to believe in him. I think this is the very essence of John three sixteen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, that's the key part there, will not perish. God loved us so that we would believe in him so that we would not die. And that love, that belief in that love, that's what carries us through. His love is so powerful, it's so strong, it's so amazing, and it is inseparable from us. Romans 8, verse 35, Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, he says in verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. If John three sixteen is is the most important verse in the New Testament, Romans 8, 38 to close number two. It says this in verse 38, for I am convinced either death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Paul could have said literally nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate us. Again, my old son born two days ago has no concept of how much I love him. He has no clue of how much I love him, how strong that love is for him, how I've loved him from before he was born, before he was conceived, when we were trying to conceive how much I already loved this, this child. And he has no concept of the fact that that love is not gonna be broken, that there's nothing he can do, there's no one out there who can pull us apart. My, my two oldest ones, Elsie's almost six. She's, I think, starting to grasp this just a little bit because she'll understand that she'll get in trouble and she'll be upset with me, but that I still love her. And she'll still come back to me a little bit later and everything's okay. Amelie is, is three and a half and, and Amelie's just a bundle of love. She'll say it all the time, I love you, daddy. I don't know if she understands what it means yet, <laughs> but she's just a bundle of love. But neither one of them, my, my two-day-old son, they have no concept of how strong I love them and how much that will never be broken. And I am flawed, I am mortal, I am, I am messed up and messy and broken. And if my love for him can ever be broken, just imagine God's love for us. Imagine God's love for you. It is that strong. It is that perfect. It is that amazing. It will never, ever be broken. And your ability to try and reciprocate even a little bit of that depends on how much you can believe in him. And here's why. Because God's love is perfect. And because it's perfect, it deserves our faith. God loves us because he is love. I love that in 1 John. God is love. He doesn't love, he is love. He's the very essence of love. Love flows from him, it comes from him because he is love. And he's proven to us time and time again that he's worthy of it, even if we don't fully understand it. Uh, those of you who've been married, you, you kind of understand how this works a little bit. You, you come to the altar that day of your wedding and you see your spouse and you can't possibly know what's coming tomorrow. You can't possibly know what the rest of your lives together holds, but you believe that you love this person enough that you're willing to commit to them and spend your life with them. And that's faith in God. You don't know what's coming tomorrow. You don't know what's coming around the next curve. I like to think sometimes about driving at night around curvy roads when it's dark. I don't know what's around the next curve. 
I only know as far as my headlights will let me see. But I believe in, the, in the, the car, I believe in the headlights, I believe in what's, my ability to get around what's coming next. Faith in God works that same way. We don't know what's around the next curve, but we trust God to help us navigate it anyway. We trust God to help us get through it anyway. God's love is perfect and it deserves our faith. And here's the third part of this. Our faith is ongoing. Faith in God, it's not a one-time decision. You don't just say, yes, get baptized, and you're done. Your faith continues. Your faith should grow. Your faith should get stronger as you go. That's the very reason John wrote this gospel. Not just so we would come to belief, but so that we would continue to believe. He kind of gives his thesis statement in, in chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, right after he said that about, about uh, Thomas, that blessed are those who do not see me and still believe. Verse 31, he says this, this is written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in his name, uh, you may have life. You may believe. That's ongoing. That's present tense. That doesn't just happen once and move on. It's continual. It continues to go. Your faith, again, should strengthen and should grow. Go back to Hebrews chapter 11 again. Example after example of people believing in God and by their belief, by their faith, God allowing them to move on to a deeper spot. The writer of Hebrews follows that up with with, uh, chapter 12, verse one and two. He says, therefore, given all this, given all this example, all this evidence, all these things I just told you, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer of, and the perfecter of our faith. Let us run that race with endurance. That's today, that's tomorrow, that's the future. If it was a sprint, he wouldn't say that part. He'd just say, let, let's, let's let us run and get it over with. No, let us run with endurance, that we can have the strength to continue. If you've ever trained to run a marathon or a 5K, I haven't because honestly I don't trust people who run 5Ks and marathons. They scare me. If you see me running like that, somebody's probably chasing me. (laughs) But you know that you don't just jump up and go run a marathon on day one. Right now I'd be lucky to make it out the front door, okay? You work up, you build up your endurance. If today's your first day of faith, it might not be easy. It's going to take time. It's going to take training. That's where this body comes into play. We come around you. I, I, I'll be honest. I will never run a 5K or anything beyond that unless I have people pushing me every day because I'm, I just don't have the motivation. I don't have the drive. I don't have the commitment. If somebody's pushing me to do it, then I might. It's like going to the weight room. It's hard to go by yourself, but if you've got somebody there pushing you, it's a lot easier. This is the same way. It's so hard to have a strong basis of faith by yourself, but when we come around each other and we help each other take that next step, we help each other run that race, that endurance builds and gets better and it gets stronger. And here's why that's important. We're gonna wrap this up next week. We see that the result of our faith is eternity. The result of our faith is is eternity. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. I encourage you to be here as as we wrap this this verse up, because we see that that we are sinners. We're born into sin, and that 
punishment for sin is death, and that God loves us so much, he came to us anyway, and he met us right in the middle of our brokenness, right in the middle of our messiness. And because of that, we should believe in him. God has loved us out of death. He has loved us into life. Now we can live in that. We can live in that faith. We can live in that truth. And we can allow our faith to grow out of that. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful. God, just you loved us so much. God, that the most powerful truth any of us can learn is Jesus loves me, this I know. God, because of that, we can believe in you. God, all across this room today, I don't, I don't know where we're at. I don't know what step is in front of us, what step is next, but I ask, Lord, you would give us the confidence to take it. God, it's not like throwing darts into a dark room and hoping we hit the dartboard. But God, that you're giving us the strength to take the next step, even if we don't know where our foot's gonna land, you're telling us it's okay, and we can trust you in the process. God, I would ask, as a body, we could come around each other. If somebody is, is struggling taking that next step, God, you would help us walk alongside them and say, it's okay, we're here with you. Yeah, it might be scary, but we're here with you. And we believe it, it's not gonna be a bad thing. God, we love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name.